Hello and welcome to the Luke Miller Podcast. I'm glad that you're able to join us this week. On today's episode, we continue looking at Malachi chapter 2 and our series at looking at the tough passages of Malachi. We're going to take a look at what spiritual progress should look like in our lives and then take a look at that tough question that the people of Israel are worshiping with and God challenges them with, which is that he'd rather have no worship at all than insincere worship. And so a challenge for what worship looks like to us. I'm excited for today. God's got some amazing things in store for us. Let's dive in. As we start to take a look at Malachi chapter 6 through 14, we're able to see that there's this dialogue that's happening between God and Malachi. Uh, And as we looked at last week, uh, we find ourselves in a place in Malachi where God uh, is really speaking to the people of Israel. And and of all the things God wants us to know, the most important is that he loves us. His love with us is affectionate, it's unconditional, uh, it's sovereign, uh, and and yet they were wrestling with that. And we took a look at that difficult passage of, of God loving Jacob but hating Esau and understanding what that means. Now, today we take a look and understanding our passage uh, that, that in many ways, think of the beginning and the very end of Malachi as two bookends. Uh, at one end is this beautiful statement found in verse uh, 2, which is, I have loved you. And then on the other end, we find a promise in verse 2 of chapter 4 that says, but for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and I will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Uh, the prophecy of Malachi begins with God's love in the present and ends with God's promise in the future. It seems a, a little more difficult when you read it, but but that is the very essence of what's happening is, is again, a broad stroke over the four chapters of Malachi. Uh, and and part of what we see in the passage we look at today and going deeper into it is looking at God's program for us for spiritual progress. Uh, God longs for us to give him our best, and, and we can focus on several ways in which we can do that. It's, it's like any routine that we try and do. Most people will say it takes about 21 days to build a, a routine that is very difficult to break, but it only takes actually one day to, to allow that routine to end. Uh, and so when we look at our own spiritual journey with God, that is the same thing as well. Uh, we find ourselves in a place where God wants us to progress, yet at the same time, um, it's easy for us to break the routine. This is what's happening in Malachi with the people of Israel. They know what they should be doing, yet they are have, have broken that routine. What started off as a promise for a nation now is very much the nation is polluted. And as we took a look at last week, uh, we see it did not take long for the nation to, to decline to the point of where some simple mistakes and practices that they were doing in the time of Malachi ended up into being so destructful to uh, the people of Israel in the first century as Jesus comes on the scene and and how it developed into something that encompassed every part of their lives from just some small areas in Malachi. It's growing. And... And for us, I believe that as we take a look at this passage, that there's a lot of of what we have to do is embracing authentic faith. We see right away in verse 6 of chapter 1 that there are two sides to to God's love. One side is tender and the other side is more of a tougher love. 
He is relational in his giving uh, and, and in his glory, but we must honor him. It says, as a son honors his father and a servant his master. Uh, if I'm a father, where is the honor due to me, God says. If I'm a master, where is the respect due to me? Uh, and and you can see that there is a problem here. God is bringing this uh, to the people of Israel saying, hey, you haven't shown me uh, any of this stuff that you should be showing me. God refers to himself as the father of Israel in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. Again, this is something that we call the sights and laven, looking at the original context. And sometimes, as we see which in Malachi, which I would argue is what often we discount as making Malachi too difficult to actually read through, is that in the context of Malachi, there's actually more context. And so when we see as God referring himself to the father of Israel, we actually see that point in Exodus chapter 4, 22, where it says, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn. And then later on in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, he tells us to honor your father and your mother. And this, this picture to honor someone is very much uh, considered this weighty or heavy uh, thing. While, while priests probably celebrated this statement because they wanted uh, their own children to honor them, God is saying to his people, including the priests, no longer consider him, uh, that they no longer consider him to be important. Uh, and there's this challenge here that God deserves to be honored because he is holy. I want you to notice that phrase there that says, the Lord Almighty. As uh, And as we take a look at this, uh, we've mentioned a little bit that that God's name, Yahweh, was too holy even to be spoken by human lips for the Jewish people, and that tradition actually carries on today. In fact, it was so revered that it is only pronounced once a year on the Day of Atonement and only by the high priest in the holiest place in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. So if the name needed to be written, the scribes would also... would. <laughs> The ritual was to take a bath before writing it and then destroy the pen afterwards that they were using. And, and while that word Yahweh, as we describe as in English as God's personal name, is difficult to define, this name refers to the fact that God is who he is. He is the one who causes everything else. He is unchanging. He is the one who inhabits eternity. And that title Almighty is the, is the word hosts and, and means a great number of armies. The Lord Almighty has, has all the hosts of heaven ready to do his work, and he has infinite authority in the universe. And, and really, seven times in nine verses and 23 times in the whole book of Malachi, we see God referring to himself as the Lord Almighty. In verse 6, we see, I am the master, uh, where's my respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty. In verse 8, he says, would, would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. In verse 9, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty again. In verse 10, I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 11, my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 13, you sniff out uh, in, in contempt, says the Lord Almighty. In verse 14, for I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty. 
Anytime something is mentioned even more than twice, we pay attention to it. And here in our small little set of passage, we see the Lord Almighty being used nine different times. There's something that we should be drawn to here. And and during the first half of verse 6, the priests are probably saying, amen, that's right, God, bring it on. Let the people have it. You know, uh, finally, you're you're telling them what, what we've been telling them, just with a different voice. And so they're going to notice that. But then comes this difficult passage in the second half of the verse that says, it's you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. Ugh, that hurts a little bit, doesn't it? Uh, now it's time for them to listen. Uh, and And by the way, this had to be a difficult passage for Malachi to deliver because he was not a priest. They probably resented him and looked down on him for that. In many ways, we see this contempt being held when Jesus is speaking in the synagogue and he speaks to the Pharisees and he speaks with the authority of God and the contempt that has grown there. Uh, and so the priests were showing contempt for God, which means that they no longer thought of him as grand and as who he was uh, and, and recognizing the promises that he made. A lot was being taken for granted. We know that they were despising their duties and and scorning the sacred because because worship had now become a difficult task, and and they were taking God for granted, and they had to nerve the nerve in many ways to lash out at the Lord Almighty. And then look at the last part of verse six uh, in this passage that says, "How have we shown contempt for your name?" They go back and ask God, you know, surely it's not that bad. And whenever you ask God how. He'll tell you. <laughs> in verse 7, he, he answers them. You place defiled food on my altars. <laughs> it's unbelievable and hard to imagine that the priests persist in their questioning. How have, how have we defiled you? And God replies by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. They've put and def- they've defiled uh, the Holy of Holies and, and placing uh, food upon the altar that shouldn't be there. And... And they were going through the motions like sometimes we do. I think it's easy for us to say, okay, well, uh, one of the, to say that this passage is dealing with priests or modern day pastors, but what we believe is the, the priesthood of all. We're all called to be disciples. We're all called to be sharers of the gospel. And so in this picture and in what Malachi is talking about is the challenge to every one of us as Christ followers that... And asking us the question that sometimes do we just go through the motions, uh, whether it is prayer, whether it is worship, whether it is being uh, together as a community on a Sunday. Uh, and sometimes do we allow the extraordinary to just simply become ordinary? Uh, and in fact, uh, this intimate familiarity with with that is holy can lead to this spiritual laziness if we're not careful, which is something that Malachi deals with that the people are lethargic in their relationship with God. Um, and, and, and really, as we go further into this, and we, we can find ourselves in this context again um, of what this looks like, a, a, an improper sacrifice, uh, again, in the context of Malachi, would have drawn people immediately to Genesis chapter 4, where it records what happened with two brothers, Cain and Abel. Uh, who made sacrifices, and and Cain was a farmer and brought the first fruits of his harvest, and Abel was a shepherd who brought the first of his flock as an offering. 
For some reason, God accepts Abel's offering and rejects Cain's. And, and commentators and scholars have suggested all sorts of reasons why God would do this, but it has nothing to do with the offering and everything to do with the attitude of the one making the offering. In 1 John chapter 3.12, it tells us the reason for Cain's sacrifice was not accepted is because he had a heart full of evil. Again, it was a heart issue. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it says the reason Abel's offering was accepted is because he had a heart full of faith. God looked at the sacrificer and then the sacrifice. He looked at the offerer and then the offering. He looked for authentic adoration from the person giving it, not the sacrifice in in a sense uh, at first. It was to bring the first fruits, but first God wanted to look at the heart. This is the same thing that we looked at in the first passages of Malachi chapter 1, where we wrestled with this idea of God loving Jacob and hating Esau and saw that it was a heart issue. God loved Jacob so much that he loved him so much, it seemed like anything less for Esau seemed like hate. It wasn't actually God hating. Uh, And and because of that, um, we see that it was not, again, a anything that was done uh, with an offering, it was in many ways, um, it, it had to do with the heart. Jacob was one, a, a person who was filled uh, with, uh, I want to say in many ways, uh, not contempt, but was always trying to find a way in which he could get around things. And he was sneaky. And, and we see that he did a lot of things that he shouldn't, yet his heart was genuine, and and out of that, we see that he matured and he grew in his knowledge and his faith of God. Esau, on the other hand, uh, his heart was empty. He had no um, need or want for a spiritual relationship or spiritual growth. This is what we see again in Cain and Abel. And so this idea of both sacrifice and God's love in a relational way both first with Esau and Jacob, and now as we look at at Cain and Abel, this is something that would have been uh, fully understood by the people hearing this for the first time in Malachi and and this story. It would have hit home for uh, for the priests and for the people of Israel, Israel, hopefully. And hopefully it does the same thing for us. Because if we want God to give God our best, we must embrace authenticity. I can't say that enough. We must stop going through whatever motions we have, refuse to play church and do whatever it takes to keep that uh, and do whatever it takes to keep that fire burning inside us for God. Um, in many ways, it's this challenge for us that do we dishonor God and, and count him in contempt like what we have here? Um, the other thing that we see in verses 8 and 9 is something that Pastor Cliff talked about, which is giving God priority over our possessions. In verse 8 and 9, we could uh, sum up Israel's problem uh, by saying that that they were suffering uh, from uh, not giving God their best. Look at verse 8. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you bring sacrifice that are animals that are crippled and diseased, is that not wrong? Try uh, try offering your your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. 
what's happening is he's challenging them to say, hey, what if you brought those sacrifices to the governor, the Persian governor? Would he be happy with you if you brought him a blind animal as an offering? So why would the Lord Almighty, again, using Lord Almighty, be happy with that? The priests were not accepting just the second best from people, but way worse than that. They were bringing God's sick sheep and and goats. They were offering the ones that were worth absolutely nothing. Imagine the parade of these diseased animals limping and stumbling towards the temple. And that's what God is saying. Is that not wrong? This goes back to uh, Leviticus chapter 2, verse verse 2, in verses 9 through 20, where God made it very clear that he was not interested in substandard sacrifices. In fact, it says, Tell Aaron and his sons to treat with respect the sacred offerings the Israelites consecrate to me, so that they will not profane my holy name. I am the Lord, using the name of God. Um, You must present a male without defect from the cattle, sheep or goats, in order to or in order that it may be accepted on your behalf. Do not bring anything with defect because it will not be accepted. There's two things that are happening there. There's a people bringing uh, improper sacrifice to the uh, to the temple, and then at the same time, there is the priests that are accepting it. And and so this is a challenge. Both I don't want to say again. It's not looking at pastors and priests. It's looking at all of us as Christ followers. Whether this is happening in your own home, whether it's happening in a church setting, whether it is happening in a, a small group setting, uh, if we see it, there's that challenge that how do we become more authentic? How do we give the best? Israel is taught to look through the whole flocks and find that one animal without blemish or defect to sacrifice. And it wasn't easy to do because that animal was the cream of the crop. It was the most expensive one, the one used for breeding, but it was what God demanded. So it's that challenge to give God, give to God first. And I love the sense of joy that accompanies giving in, in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 31, which says, As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave their first fruits of their grain, their new wine, their oil, and their honey, and all the fe- all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, uh, a tithe of everything. And, and here's where it's easy, and I know uh, uh, Pastor Cliff talked about this on Sunday, but as we look at this, this goes beyond just, you know, a, a money talk. This is saying, in every aspect of life, are you giving? Are you sacrificing for the sake of the gospel? Are you giving to God first? That is the challenge that we see in Malachi. It's a challenge that, that we struggle with in, in so many ways. God is saying that his name will be great, whether we acknowledge it or not. The party will go on without us uh, in, in many ways. God told Israel that his greatness and his grace will be given to the Gentiles. And, and really, that's what's happening right now. And there's a time coming when every knee will acknowledge who God is. And so, so as we look at this and we wrestle with this passage there's really three things we can see about wearisome worship. And and this is this challenge for us, is God is saying that there is a point where we have to say, um, is insufficient worship better than no worship at all? Because God, what we read in Malachi is saying, God wants genuine worship and only genuine worship. (laughs) 
not half-hearted participation, uh, not inadequate preparation, and, and what goes in to the service, and it goes into our time with God, uh, not improper motivation as well. Uh, and and I think that is this challenge uh, for all of us, is, is what does authentic worship and genuine community look like? And, and for us, this is where we find ourselves today. And this is the challenge of, of Malachi for us this week, is as we go deeper into this, we see that the story of Cain and Abel would have been something that the, the people of Malachi would have fully understood as being part of the message being delivered, much like Esau and Jacob. We start to see that context, and we start to see that this is a challenge for us to, to make this a heart issue, not just giving for the sake of giving, not serving for the sake of serving, not uh, just going through the motions, not just showing up to church because it's what I do on a Sunday. It's saying, how do I bring it all to worship God? How do I engage in the Lord Almighty with authentic and, and genuine worship? And that's a challenge for us. And, and so we've got some of those things that we can look at. Uh, and it really comes from grasping onto God's greatness. Uh, and, and verse 10 uh, should cause us to really take notice. God would much rather have us shut down the church than come to him with any sort of pathetic leftovers. Uh, it, it says, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not uh you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. I will not accept offerings from your hands. Wow, that is tough. God is saying he'd rather shut the temple doors than take inadequate sacrifices. For us, that's saying God would rather us shut down the church than find ourselves in a place where where we are just going through the motions. That's why there is such a a heavy weight on preaching God's word, on, on trying to create that genuine, authentic community uh, that we can have on a, on a Sunday morning. Uh, and, and the purpose for these offerings, the purpose of genuine worship, and I'll finish with this today, is you can see a pattern that's coming in here. Verse 11, the purpose it states is that God's name will be great among the nations. From the rising to the setting sun, uh, in every place, incense and pure offerings would be brought in my name because my name will be great amongst all the nations, says the Lord Almighty. And in verse 14, cursed is the is the cheat who has an, un, has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal, animal. For I am great, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among all nations. There, there, you see what's happening there? The purpose of going to God and being authentic with God and entering into that authentic worship is that God's name would be great among the nations. There is a, a very evangelical theme happening here, uh, and not just in the background, but very much in the forefront of the purpose of why we do what we do. And so, so going from here, there's our challenge, right? Is how asking ourselves, how do we enter into actual genuine worship? And maybe it is that that picture of, of some of the stuff that we are are struggling with, uh, whether it is inauthentic 
in our in our lives and giving God priority in what what worship looks like uh, in our lives, giving the best and, and what that challenge is. And so I hope that we can uh, take that away, whether we're struggling with half-hearted participation, uh, whether we don't have the right motivation of, for going to church, uh, whether it is inadequately preparing uh, for church, and it's a challenge to us as as pastors as well. This is something that is is very relevant to us now. So we'll finish up there and, and leave that as a challenge. But again, here we find ourselves in a difficult passage, but it's very clear to see that when we ask the tough question, it can bring it bring out more of what God is saying. When we look at the original context and how they would have heard it, we can see that God is challenging us with all sorts of things when it comes to worship. So as we go from here, our prayer today is that we ask ourselves, are we authentically worshiping God? Are we genuine Christ followers? And what are we doing to allow God's name to be proclaimed to all the nations for his name is great. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to continuing this series and we're jumping further into Malachi into chapter two and going deeper into it. And so I hope you're enjoying this series. I know I certainly am. I love looking at that historical context and drawing out those difficult passages and seeing how relevant they are today. And Malachi certainly fits into that category. So take care, have a great week, and I'll talk to you next week.